On today's show, the Chris Middleton deadline day has arrived and we're just sitting here waiting for some news. We're just over 24 hours away from the NBA draft as we record this podcast and we think or maybe we will see whether the Bucs make any moves, which brings us to a conversation today. How should the Bucs actually build out a postseason rotation? We've spoke so much about depth in the last few years, and ultimately, you only need a few players that are going to play in the postseason. So how should the Bucs attack this? Uh, let's get into it. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. show Monday to Friday and also find my work over at ESPN and alongside me the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast Frank Madden from his car and may or may not have another human in the car with him a little human uh Frank it is always good to catch up with you and we are going to have there is the baby I think that's first view for Locked On Bucks YouTube that's an exclusive a world exclusive on the Locked On Podcast Network here today <laughs> Uh, but I'm excited to be podcasting with Frank, not only because this is a fun time of year with free agency coming up, the draft coming up, uh, but we've got a live pod coming up. Frank's going to roll into town next week, next Wednesday night, June 28 at Broken Bat Brewery. Uh, everyone should come along. I was going for a run yesterday. Someone stopped me and said, are you Kane Pittman? I said, yeah. And I said, we're going to live pod. Come on. I don't know whether they're going to do it or not, but uh, everyone, you know, we're all excited here to meet everyone and talk bucks and uh, maybe have some news frank over the next uh week or so here yeah uh let me let me just add a disclaimer too for people that haven't heard me say this on other pods um my house is being renovated i, I have a six week old <laughs> kid i'm on paternity leave for the next uh two months which is pretty awesome um and so basically in the mornings i just try to get out of my house drop my dog my my five-year-old off at uh, her camps and then, uh, you know, I'll go to Panera Bread, which is where, I, you know, I've, I've now done a cap salary cap preview podcast from Panera Bread. Um, and today I was just there. And then I was like, you know, what? it's still loud in here. Uh, baby looked a little agitated. So I uh, figured I'd come in here. By the way, I do not drive around with a baby sitting in the front passenger seat. Just to be clear, I just have her here in the parked car so that um, when she gets agitated, I can, like, give her her pacifier when it falls out and, and uh, things like that. But, um, but yeah, very... Really excited to be uh, heading back to Milwaukee next week, Kane, seeing you, seeing Eric, Camille, Justin, and obviously a, a ton of you guys that have been listening to us for, you know, hopefully years or weeks or days, uh, whatever whatever length of journey you've been on, been on with us. Um, always fun just to, to kind of bring the community together. I always say you know, that's what makes sports fun is the kind of community around it and Obviously, this is such a, a fun way that, that we do that. So to be be together again, Kane, uh, five years since the first and only time we met. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, only second time. It's crazy. We've done I've done over a thousand episodes of this show now, which is also just insane to think about. But I'm meeting you for the second time. And I've said it before. I think I've spent more time talking to you than just about anyone else in my life, I think, over the last four or five years. Uh, let's dive right into it. And let me just ask you a question straight away. It is... Uh, Wednesday is recording this. The draft is on Thursday night. 
are the Bucks going to make a trade, Frank? How do you feel about this right now as you pour through all the options in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think I've got a grunting baby now. Great. He's awake. Um, I think they will. I mean, I think they will draft somebody. Obviously, right now they have the 58th pick. Um, you know, we saw them a year ago pick, you know, basically use the last pick to, to get Hugo Basson. We'll see if we see Hugo Basson in Summer League. Um, but uh, I, I think they will definitely, maybe if they don't keep that pick, I think they'll maybe buy or trade somehow up to, to a higher pick. One of the challenges, they have like basically no second round picks left uh, after the Jay Crowder deal. You know, again, I know a lot of people are like, ah, second round picks, who cares? You can always buy more. But, um, you know, again, like, there are limits to to how much you can just continually like buy second round picks, especially picks that that are you know in the higher kind of you know front front half of of a, of a round. Um, so I, I think again we'll we'll kind of see what happens. I think probably the big question you know in terms of the roster we've we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about with the Bradley Beal experience, right? Talking about Chris Middleton and Andrew Holiday and other scenarios where you know, Chris Middleton down the road that you could trade him once he's actually signed again. Is there a scenario with Drew Holiday that you would consider trading him for? Um, I I am happy that, you know, no one has seriously in the media been talking. I know that there's always kind of discussions ongoing with, with Bucks fans about it. Um, I'm happy that there hasn't been any discussions in like the national media about like, Oh, Drew Holiday is available or like, Oh, they were shopping Drew Holiday in the Bradley Beal deal. Um, Cause I think again, like, better for the stability of the team that those guys are kind of kept out of those sorts of, of situations. Um, but you know, the Drew holiday trade when he came here came out of nowhere. Right. And it seems like the bucks have had two general sorts of trades, the kinds that completely come out of the blue and the kind that are telegraphed for months, right. The PJ Tucker deal and the Jay Crowder deal. Like we heard about their interest in those guys for like months and months and months. And it was just like, you know, are they actually going to do something? Um, I would not expect, you know, a Drew Holiday trade on, on draft night. Again, I think there's, um, I think there is, as we've talked about, I think there's a, a valid discussion to be had with him a year away from his player option. What does an aging Drew Holiday look like on this team over the next few years? You're, you're kind of at an inflection point, I think, with Drew, where if you were going to move him, now might be the best time to do that. Um, but again, are you going to get equal value for him? Are you going to get a guy that, that fits? Um, you know, I think Beal... Again, age-wise would have fit better, but he makes significantly more. And, you know, from a, a fit standpoint, he's less of a ball handler than even Drew is, right? So um, so I think getting getting value back on, on Drew is, is, is really hard, right? But in principle, I think it is worth asking a question, especially given his age and the age of the roster around Giannis, you know, is that worth thinking about. But I think if there was going to be a trade, you know, I think there's – I'll say four guys that that I would at least think are, are worth mentioning. I think obviously Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, those are the guys that we normally would think of just given where they are in terms of their salary. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much you can hear this baby kind of like grunting over a here. Little. She's got a pacifier in. But um but uh she's she's maybe not not happy about the 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 mention of of Bobby Portis and and Pat Connaughton in uh, in right. potential trades. Exactly. Um I think those guys, I think it's worth at least exploring. I think the Bucks have to explore what the market is for those guys. Um, you know, I think Bobby and Grayson sort of, I think have both had similar stories, obviously positionally very different, but they've both been guys that have been, I think, good regular season players. And then in the postseason, obviously, especially in that Boston series last year, the obvious question was like, well, how do these guys really contribute and 
how are they going to be wing players against the number one rival that you have in your conference? And you know, it sucks because like I feel bad for Grayson Allen. By the way, he had a 66% true shooting percentage against the Heat in the first round of the playoffs. In his Bucks playoff career, he's over 60% true shooting. Um, you know, so basically he shot the shit out of the ball in two of the three series that he's been in with the Bucks. But unfortunately, he, you know, struggled defensively against the bigger Celtics, couldn't make shots. And that's what people think of, you know, that's what we think of him from the playoff perspective, right? You kind of gloss over the fact that he hit a lot of shots, even against the Heat. Um, and with Bobby, I think obviously there's much more goodwill for, towards Bobby, given the key role he played in closing out the Suns in particular. Obviously, he was big against the Hawks as well in that championship run a couple years ago. Um, but, you know, anytime you have a guy making $10, $11 million and dollars are as tight as they are, I think you at least have to ask the question of, you know, is there a way that you could trade these guys and get something back that could potentially help you more um, in the playoffs in particular moving forward? And again, I think there's probably going to be very obvious trade-offs um and a draft is obviously a natural time to think about it because you know teams like the pacers get talked about as oh the pacers you know they need a power forward right maybe they'll draft one um but hey bobby portis i think would look great on the pacers bobby portis would look great on the charlotte hornets right and a lot of those teams they have not just picks in the lottery which obviously you're not going to get one of those picks for bobby portis but you know is there a deal where you get a pick in the late 20s or a pick in the 30s plus a player who hopefully could still actually be a rotation guy for you, right? Um, and maybe it's a different type of player, right? Maybe it's a wing player, or maybe it's a guard, maybe ball handler, something different, right? Again, it's sort of worth asking the question, but I also want to be really careful, I think, because, you know, there still is a regular season, right? So even if you question those guys as, as postseason players, you don't want to finish fifth in the conference or something like that because you didn't have – good regular season players, guys that could fill in for Giannis and, oh. you know, you might guys want to avoid the eight yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the upside, right? You get the fifth seed, or at least then you wouldn't have to play the heat again. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so I, it, it's hard, you know, I think it's a needle threading exercise. I don't think it's a no brainer to trade any of those guys. I think with Grayson, because he's going to be an expiring contract and the fact that, you know, I mean, He's a really good regular season player. You know, I mean, he's not he's not a star player. He's, you know, not not a really high end player, but makes a reasonable, you know, makes a reasonable salary, might, right? Nine million bucks, shoots 40% from three every year, can do a little bit off the dribble. I think he's been an improved defender the last two years as well. I mean, he should have demand around the league. Bobby should have demand for, you know, it's with certain teams. Um, so I think the question is just, you know, is is what you get back worth it? And especially relative to the draft, right? Like we talk about, like, oh, could you you know, use one of those guys, like, could you use Bobby to get like a late, late first round pick, early second round pick, something like that. I think, again, I think you got to get a player back that you think can actually fit and maybe isn't like a slam dunk to be a playoff rotation player, but at least has a chance, right? Um, and on top of that, I think it's fair to ask the question of like, hey, the first round picks are cool, high second round picks are cool, but what's the thesis behind adding those guys, right? Is the idea that, you know, those guys can mature with this team and, you know, potentially be guys that two, three years from now, you know, are, are kind of, you know, maybe you hit on one or two of those guys and they're the ones compensating for the aging of some of the other players. Like that's a reasonable thesis to me. The idea though, that like, you know, I mean, let's, let's look at this, this front off draft history, I mean, look, it's hard drafting from late first round, you know, second round, 
but you know, I don't have a ton of faith that they're going to hit a home run with you know, uh, a pick at a spot where you're typically not getting, you know, certainly not an immediate impact guy. Um, but in most cases, not even a guy that ever is going to be like a playoff rotation caliber guy. So to me, it's like, if you're acquiring a first round pick, my immediate question would be like, well, can you trade that pick straight away, make it a three way or something to get somebody that, that can play for you next year, year after, and, and you feel higher confidence is, is going to be a player. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm always a little torn and, and that kind of brings me to the, the, the last guy that I think is at least worth thinking about on draft night, which is Mar- Marjan Bochamp. I don't think they're going to trade Marjan Bochamp, but you know, year one, year two with guys like him are kind of these interesting periods because, you know, if they show some stuff, which Marjan showed some stuff last year, I think they're going to have some value around the league to, to some teams because they're still going to have a little bit of that like upside glow. But, you know, a year from now, if Marjan Bochamp is, has the same year next year that he had this year, he's not going to have a, a whole lot of value, you know, around the league. So I think it's, you know, we talked about it leading up to the trade deadline. You have to, again, ask the question of like, are you, are you really helping yourself in the grand scheme of things with your title window open right now by kind of keeping the, you know, glimmer of the upside and, and hoping that the guy will develop and be a player for you um, and weigh that against what you could potentially get. And again, I, I don't know what Marjan Bochamp's value, you know, is, could you get a late first round pick for him? Probably somewhere. Right. And that's reasonable. Um, but it's, it's, uh, again, these are the, like the really difficult kind of trade-offs that, that John Horse and that front office are going to have to do. And so I don't, I don't think they're going to do anything with Marjan Bochamp, but you know, we're now at the one year anniversary of them acquiring him. And, you know, if guys don't really start to show something year by year two, year certainly by year three, they become depreciating depreciating assets. And then it's easy to look back and say like, oh man, would have been nice if we had used him, you know, in a trade to try to get a guy that, that we knew and had higher confidence he could play. So, um, so anyway, I'm sure we'll have lots of, you know, assuming he's around, which I expect it will be, we'll have lots of kind of Vegas discussions about Marjan and, you know, what he means and we'll see if they add anybody, but I don't know. I, I don't think that they're going to add like a, late first round pick i think they will draft the second round player somewhere um and again i think uh part of that also is is contractually there's an advantage to getting a second round pick because you can sign them and have them count for less against the cap than um signing even an undrafted free agent undrafted free agents uh, it has the same cap hit on a minimum as Wes Matthews if you signed him again right a, a 10 year plus veteran they all count the same roughly 2 million against the cap because the league doesn't want to basically disincentivize teams from signing veterans. Um, but if you draft a player in the second round, sign that guy to a, a minimum contract, uh, he'll only count for a little over a million this year. So there's savings that you can have kind of having those end of the bench guys. We saw kind of, kind of played that game with Yorgos Kalitsakis a couple years ago. Um, didn't work out in the end. <laughs> um, uh, and then also I think the other interesting thing is this year they've now the new CBA, we always talk about complaining about it. Uh, they have added second round exceptions that every team gets no matter where they are relative to the first and second apron. And so basically now previously to sign a player to a three-year contract, you had to use part of a different exception, such as a mid-level exception. Obviously teams above the second apron, they don't have a, a, a taxpayer mid-level. Um, so what the league has done is said like, okay, basically it's, it's more than the minimum. I think this year it'd be about like 1.77, I think for a three-year contract starting salary, um, which is still less than, you know, a, a, a veteran, 
um, minimum contract. Uh, and a four year is a bit higher. I think it's closer to, to 2 million, but basically it gives teams a bit more flexibility to sign those second round picks to more than two year contracts um, with the team option at the end. So uh, again, that's another reason why I think second round picks are, are a little bit more interesting and useful this year and moving forward than they were previously. Alas, the Bucks traded a bunch of them away for Jay Crowder. Um, but that's another kind of thing in the background to think about um, and gives a little more incentive to, to come away with at least a second rounder from, from Thursday. But if you are talking about someone like Jay Crowder, I, I think those are the types of guys, as you sort of alluded to, with your rotation during the regular season. Can they help you? What does it look like in the postseason? I think that's going to be part of the decision-making of what the Bucks think that they could trade for a late first-round pick anyway. Because as you pointed to, the chances of you getting a rotation player immediately as a rookie with pick 29 or pick 31 uh, historically uh, is pretty low. So I think some of those veteran players the Bucks have to make a decision about are going to be interesting. I want to ask you about them next after we talk about BetterHelp, uh, the sponsor of today's show. And uh, we all know this. It's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take uh, a moment or some time to think about what you need from yourself. Therapy can help you in that regard and it can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. You don't have to run into anyone. You don't have to see any people. It's all in, in the comfort of your home. Uh, and you're with a licensed therapist, but if it's not working out for you, you can switch therapists and find someone that suits you uh, perfectly for whatever it is you need in life. So find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. So I was thinking a lot, and I've said this a little bit on this show, and we should remind you again, Wednesday, June 28, come down to Broken Bat Brewery. We're going to have a live podcast. Everyone will be there. Eric, Camille, Justin, Frank, and uh, we'll have some fun and uh, drink some beers if you want and uh, heckle, heckle us if you want from the crowd. I mean, there's all types of things that are uh, welcome on that night. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I, I mentioned over the last few weeks sort of covering the finals, trying to look at Denver, and Miami to a lesser extent, but certainly Denver in terms of like what are the comparisons? Is there anything you can look at from a Bucks perspective? And, and the thing I just kept coming back to is the fact that they were just playing seven guys basically. And I was thinking about all the podcasts we had and counting, well, there's 12 guys. Which one of these 12 guys is going to play? Is Wesley Matthews going to play some minutes tonight? Are they just resting him for the postseason? Where does Jay Crowder fit into the mix? Is Joe Ingles a postseason player? And part of that is just, I, I think, the situation the Bucks are in, whereas if, if you want to add veterans on these low contracts, some of them might want to play. They might be in a situation where they still want to play, and that can dictate where what, what team they want to go play for. So... I'm curious with this new coach, the Bucks are limited. Are they going to have to trade one of these guys for an asset as we've, we've looked at? Would it be just pure saving money? I'm not sure. But the guy I mentioned yesterday on the podcast with Howard Beck that I mean, you should go check out. I thought it was an interesting chat. Um, is someone like Bruce Brown who – is there someone out there or is it Jay Crowder? I mean, how do you view all these veterans that the Bucks had in terms of someone that actually – after a full season, because remember, Joe Ingles came back halfway through the season off an ACL. Obviously, he's older. We get that. But he did some things that you're like, okay, that can help this Bucks team, particularly offensively. Jay Crowder, we never saw the best of. But I think the idea of both of those guys, we at least thought about it through the season that they could help in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, 
and I think it, you know, I, 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 the way I view it is, are you giving this guy a minimum contract or are you giving this guy like one of these, you know, is this guy the taxpayer mid-level guy that like if someone, you know, there, there are ways potentially depending on Chris and Brooks situation, you could potentially have a taxpayer mid-level $5 million number or, or some portion of it that you might be able to spend. Um, you know, if, if it was Chris Paul, right. For the sake of argument, um, I don't, I don't think based on what we heard three years ago ahead of the Drew Holiday trade, it didn't seem like Giannis was a big Chris Paul fan. I don't know if anything would have changed between now and, and then. Um, so, uh, you know, to the extent that Giannis is, uh, you know, the shadow GM, I, I don't know the Bucks are going to push hard for Chris Paul. And, you know, as, as Howard Beck mentioned yesterday, you know, all the indications are that he wants to stay close to his family in LA anyway. Um, but again, if you told me hypothetically, Chris Paul will sign for the tax fair mid-level and you're going to have to, you know, move some things around or, or whatever it might be, I would say, yeah, let's do it. Right. I mean, I think again, as much as Chris Paul is not the player he was, um, there's going to be matchups where, you know, it's problematic. I, sure. Roll the dice. But um, I, I think, I think Joe Ingles, you know, as an example, Joe Ingles on a minimum, you know, come on back, Joe, like, absolutely. Like, let's, let's make this happen. Um, you know, Joe's in a bit of an interesting spot. He's not a bird free agent technically because he was only in Milwaukee a year, but non-bird free agents, you can actually sign them for 120% of what you had them at last year, which obviously, you know, nobody, they're not going to pay Joe 120% of, of $6.4 million. That's almost $8 million. I don't think that's his market anyway. Um, but, you know, again, at this point, this first year, this, we're talking about really only a one-year contract, obviously. Um, I, I would happily take Joe back, if, especially if it didn't mean sacrificing on, on other players. Um, but again, I think in, in, in practice, you know, certainly any chance you have of using the tax for mid-level probably goes out the window if you give Joe more than a minimum contract. But at a minimum, I would happily take him back. You know, is this a year where some of the defensive issues become a bit too much? Potentially, right? But, you know, to, to your point, um, if he's not a, a playoff eight-man rotation guy because of that, well, you were only paying him a minimum, right? And I think he's a guy that can definitely get you through, help you get you through the regular season. And it's not like, you know, the postseason rendered the idea of the Bucks needing, you know, more playmaking, uh, an invalid yeah. concept, right? I think that obviously became a, a pretty obvious glaring need again, especially in those fourth quarters. Like, um, but obviously the question is like, okay, well, Joe Ingles probably isn't like your crunch time guy creating shots for you, right? Understandably. So um, I, I think, I think for Joe, I would happily take him back on a minimum. Um, I think Crowder, Crowder's tough. I mean, I, you know, I think we talked about, it. I was skeptical that if he was ever going to be like a wing defender anyway, cause he's really been, uh, was really a full-time four in Phoenix. Does he have some switchability? I think he probably still does. The irony is he shot the ball actually like, well, after he came back and even with the, I think his numbers were actually pretty good, especially offensively. Uh, but then, yeah, in the playoffs, just that those five games, obviously, you know, got DNP'd, um, which we've seen with Bud in the past, right? Like the the Nikola Miritich experience. And this is the hard part too with, you know, when you when you can't stick around in the playoffs, Jay Crowder's been a guy who's had hot and cold shooting runs in particular, you know, in previous years with the with Phoenix as well. Um, when you when you get ousted right away all these guys, these role players, they don't get a chance to find a better matchup. They don't get a chance to have their moment in the sun and have, you know, that series where they really make a difference. Maybe the second round would have been the series when Jay Crowder made a difference. Again, who knows? I think with Jay, I think. Well, Frank's having some issues there. Uh, the one thing I would say about Jay Crowder shooting though, 
I looked at the numbers and the numbers were pretty good. But I didn't really remember him knocking down many threes at all. I know I know that he didn't play uh, a, a lot with this team, for sure. But it didn't feel like he had some of those hot nights. I think he had one regular season game where he knocked down a bunch of threes. But you know, ultimately, I think the defensive stuff was what we wanted to see from Jay Crowder uh, more than anything. And we just never really got to the defensive stuff. I'm just carrying on, Frank, about the, the Jay Crowder stuff. But... <laughs> You know, to, to your point, and I'll come back to you. I'll get to uh, a Fandle first, but I'll come back to you. But uh, but I think with Jay Crowder, the thing that's interesting when you talk about defending smaller guys, this is where the crunch was because if Wes Matthews was your best Jimmy Butler defender, which you know, honestly might have been the case. I mean, uh, probably Drew Holiday, but he didn't have a lot of luck and, and Giannis was hurt. So out of the role players, if Wes Matthews was the best guy and Jay Crowder was more suited to defending smaller guys, all we saw was Joe Ingles against smaller guys right through the regular season as well. So in the end, for a, for a playoff rotation-wise, they kind of uh, outmatched each other there but uh, or cancelled each other out. But I'll come back to you in just a sec uh, and we can continue that chat because I, I do think that for fans, I'm curious what they feel about Jay Crowder. But our friends over at FanDuel sponsoring the show today and uh, baseball season's in full swing. I'm going to a Brewers game today, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to 1000 bucks. That's 1000 bucks back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. And I'm looking at the NL Central. The Brewers, the favorites, plus 115. Uh, the Cubs, their second, and you know the Reds. I think the Reds that's a sad, sta- sad statement about the NL Central that the Brewers are our favorite right now. It's like who can who can finish a game above five hundred feels like the the race in the NL Central right now. Well, I had an argument. This was going back to uh, twenty twenty when I was still living here, uh, or when I was last living. Well, I'm not living here. When, when I was still living here, and uh, the argument from this person who will not be named was that no, 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 no. The only team, the only reason the teams are all around five hundred is because they're so good and competitive. This is one of the most competitive. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it just means they're all mediocre. But I went to the Brewers game on Saturday. I'm going again today. I'm so far one and zero. And I'm looking to keep that streak going. But make sure you go to FanDuel anyway because there's a pretty sweet deal there. Don't miss your chance to snag that no sweat first bet up to 1000 bucks when you join FanDuel today. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Uh, and uh, go get, uh, get yourself some cash there in a no sweat first bet with FanDuel. All right, Frank, you got cut off there at mid-Jay uh, Crowder thoughts, but where yeah. are you at? Yeah, I think with Crowder's, to me, the biggest question, I, I think Crowder's future is probably closely correlated or, or inversely correlated in this case with Bobby Portis's. If Bobby Portis is your third big and he's basically soaking up, you know, most of the backup center and power forward minutes behind Giannis and, and Brooke, then, I mean, we talked about this when they acquired him, then... Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna have to play Jay Crowder small forward minutes. Okay, well you got Chris Middleton, you got Pat Connaughton, um, Marjan Bochamp's somewhere in this discussion potentially as well. Uh, so what's Jay Crowder's role? And I think that was to me like kind of the always sort of the interesting part of the you know the fact that they chased him for so long last year. I think having another guy, I mean on the margins like. Yeah, give me Jay Crowder when I don't have to give up, you know, another rotation player. Like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, the water's warm. Like, come join the party. Um, but, you know, going into this offseason where, you know, the the dollars are are short and, you know, you 
in all likelihood are they're going to do whatever they can probably to stay under that second apron. Um, I think it does raise the obvious question of, you know, like, okay, so, so seriously though, like what's Jay Crowder's role going to be? And again, if, if there was a decision to, to trade Bobby Portis for, you know, for instance, uh, a ball handler. Okay. Well then you need somebody else that's going to play power forward. It's actually somebody else that's going to play center. So then Jay Crowder would become, I think, much more interesting as a small ball for, you know, maybe that would have you leaning more into Giannis playing more at the five if he was effectively your third big. But as long as Bobby Portis is around and, you know, Chris and Pat Connaughton are around, then I kind of look at Jay Crowder and I'm like, well, what's, what's really the, the, what's really the role here other than depth, especially when, you know, playoff time comes and rotations shrink and, you know, you're playing seven, eight guys, right. You're really only relying on seven, eight guys. And, and again, like as long as, you know, I, I, even in a playoff scenario, even if you said like Bobby Portis is gone, is Jay Crowder like you're effectively your third big? Uh, this, I'd say we all would, should have some reservations around that. There, there's definitely some risk in doing that. Um, there's some chance that, you know, Jay Crowder's best days are are well in the rear view at this stage. Um, but again, you know, I think the question then is like, well, what's your what's your next best option? And, um, you know, again, some of this comes down to philosophy and does Adrian Griffin want to play a lot smaller? Does he want to you know, kind of continue to use size the way the Bucks have to to varying extents over the past couple of years. Um, but but again, I, I I'm very curious what the Crowder kind of decision is going to be. I'm sure he wants to make more than you know five million bucks, but I don't I don't know if the Bucks can really afford to pay him a whole lot more than that unless they they shed some of this other salary without taking a fair bit back. And you know, there were Milton Newton on Instagram posted a picture of him and John Horst with Jay Crowder like in Atlanta like kind of at like a workout where you know he's he's worked out last year during during the season when he was away from the suns he was in atlanta i believe most of that time as well so i don't know they were all smiles in that picture obviously those guys value jay crowder because they give him five picks to get him um and with bud out that probably increases the likelihood of of jay crowder returning and certainly with money williams not in that also increases the, <laughs> the chance of jay crowder returning but i don't know i let me say this i i I am not going to stake a lot of my kind of Bucks 2024 title opportunity contention, whatever equity on, you know, Jay Crowder and, and what happens with his future. Um, I think that's, that's definitely one of those things that, that I probably would not want to count on a whole lot, but again, he, he may have something left in the tank. I'm, I'm not closing the book entirely. Yeah. And I think overall, when you talk about being the third big crowd has always been one of those guys that I think you think is taller than, than what he is and then the question is if he's turning into someone that's playing more of the four or you're even thinking about playing Giannis at the five smaller lineups then is that only because Jay Crowder's got a little bit older and can't defend the smaller guys anymore you know like like yeah. that's to, to me that's interesting where the transition is whether where his movement's at and, and to be fair he, he didn't he didn't play enough basketball for us to really know but I, I'm just curious across the league whether there's teams out there that are like okay we saw enough you were on 10 million dollars last year we'll, we'll give you around that i'm not so sure so it might just come down to his fit where he wants to play i'm gonna guess that he didn't love the fact that he wasn't playing in the postseason so bud's not back does that help the entire new coaching staff it certainly seemed like he liked all the guys in the locker room so maybe he would be willing to come back and i i didn't see that instagram post but uh, i'm curious how everyone feels about uh, jay crowder and whether he's uh, someone you want back on this team. And Joe Ingles, let us know all of those names. Uh, Frank, I'm going to get to a tailgate, so I, I, I could talk to you forever, but I'm, I'm going to bail. What else you got? Um, I, well, one note. So 
we talked about a little bit in the whole context of, of Bradley Beal. Um, it's kind of funny. I was listening back. Like we never really even talked I, in, when we potted out, we never really talked like, well, what is, what would the actual offer be? Obviously he's been traded. Um, you know, I think with some type of three-way, you know, scenario, they certainly could have, I think, made a compelling offer value-wise relative to to what Phoenix ended up giving up if you included, you know, Drew Holiday. Um, but, you know, Brian Windhorst often says, like, you know, if it's a if it's a three-team trade, you have a no-team trade because it's just, like, really hard to work out three-team trades. And I think, I think you know, floating around, you know, Buck Twitter, like, there were tons of different trade ideas that were thrown around. I mean, I think there were some interesting things that got thrown around like for instance um you know scenarios where like the drew goes to the warriors and jonathan kaminga jordan Poole go to washington you know for instance like that like it's like okay that's pretty interesting but bradley beal ends in milwaukee like you know again i don't know who's who's bringing the ball up the floor for the bucks but um but i think there's there's an interesting discussion that you could at least be had there that like all all three teams are better off for a trade like that but at the end of the day again like I don't think Bradley Beal or maybe Bradley Beal's wife wanted to come to Milwaukee relative to, you know, Phoenix, uh, relative to Miami. Um, and I, you know, some people were like saying, like, I, I made the comment about, you know, maybe to some extent, like John horse efforts here were, were somewhat performative, right. Given that our thesis was, this was really kind of driven by Giannis. Um, and some people were just like, <laughs> a couple people were like, Oh, you, you think he's lying to Giannis and like faking interest in this just to, and it's like, Oh, Giannis is going to see through that. It's just like, guys. Okay. First off, like most of, for, most of being a front office person is like, you know, chasing stuff that's like never really going to happen and, you know, doing stuff in somewhat performative ways. And third off, if, if you're coming out with me that, like, I feel like there's no way you're married because like <laughs> lots of good relationships involve, doing things that are somewhat performative, right? Like, okay, yeah, we'll, we can do that. And, you know, like I'll, I'll look into this or whatever it is. Like, it doesn't mean that if the Bucks don't, you know, put everything on the table for Bradley Beal, that does not mean that they're lying to Giannis or, you know, they're Giannis is going to see right through things and, you know, demand a trade or something like that. Like, you know, whatever, like th- this stuff happens all the time. Owners, you know, want GMs to do stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll try to do that thing that you think is a good idea. And, you know, that's part of the art of being a GM is kind of keeping people happy and sometimes, you know, not doing things in ways that, you know, you, you maybe you didn't want to do them, um, but you don't make the other folks that are vested parties feel like, you know, you just ignored them. So, um, so yeah, I, again, feels like the Bucks gave it the old college try. Hey, Bradley, we'll talk to Bradley and his agent, Mark Barlstein, who, by the way, represents three bucks as well. So John Horse, lots of conversations with Mark Barlstein. Anyway, uh, including Bobby Portis, by the way, Bobby Portis, Javon Carter, and I'm forgetting who the third guy is now. But um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, I I I think the interesting thing too, and the good the other good thing as we mentioned earlier, whatever was discussed, you know, and Drew Holiday being a trade, you know, uh, being on the trade market, Chris Middleton, whatever, none of that ever, you know, nobody ever seemed to take that seriously from a national media perspective, which I think obviously, as we were saying earlier, is a very good thing. We didn't have to get the whole like you know, dragging your players through the the trade trade rumors as much as Bucks Twitter may have done that. Um, but we're always doing that. So, um, so yeah, I think it was kind of no harm, no foul. Um, didn't think it was ever likely to happen anyway. Um, and, uh, but you know, it, it was definitely, it was a, a very unique situation, right? I mean, if Bradley Beal had said like, I want to go to Milwaukee. 
then I think it would have been a really interesting situation because like what what would that have meant, right? They 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 could have in theory signed and traded Jay Crowder for some like inflated amount of money to make it work and actually not needed to put in Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday, but then truly like your your tax bill would just be like absolutely insane. So I I'm gonna go ahead and say like that probably was never uh, likely to happen and would have had to happen in July and all this stuff that would have made it really hard to do. So given the timing of them wanting to do it now, it was always going to be super hard for the Bucks to do it, especially given that the Wizards, you know, I don't think had much use for Drew Holiday given where they're going. And again, three-way trades, typically no team trades, just really hard to do it. And I'll say too, I mean, you do see three-team trades, but typically with these three-team trades, two teams make a deal. And then the third, you know, one of those teams decides, hey, we'll do this deal as a two-way deal, but we we would like to see if we can bring in another team and trade one of the pieces we're getting for something else. So it, you know, you do see three team trades, but they're typically not, you know, situations where like everything falls apart completely if they can't get the third team, all the teams together at, at once. So anyway, just a note on that and, um, you know, close the book on Bradley Beal for now, <laughs> probably forever. Um, and, uh, you know, now obviously we'll probably be moving on to, to less interesting things, but, um, I don't know. I can, I don't know about you. I'm, I, I probably Portland is the most interesting team to me going into draft night, especially with the bucks, not having a whole lot to do. Um, I'm, I'm already bracing for if, if the trailblazers keep their pick and, and select a young guy and don't trade it for, for help for Damian Lillard, I'm already prepared for the podcast we're going to have to do next week about uh, Damian Lillard and why the Bucks are going to have an, a next to impossible <laughs> path to, to trading for him. Cause I feel like uh, everybody is going to be obsessed with at least the concept of, if, if Damian Lillard suddenly becomes a, uh, a trade target, which as of now, he's not, as of now he's happy, but um, we'll see if he still feels the same way in 48 hours. We will. And uh, I think you're right. I think the Beal stuff is uh, done and we'll see whatever happens in Phoenix over the next little bit. But we will have a post-draft podcast tomorrow as well. The draft is on. Maybe it gets uh, more interesting for the Bucks. So make sure you check out this channel. If you haven't subscribed or liked or drop a comment, all those things, it's free to do a review, a little five-star review. I don't think I've ever asked for that, but uh, all those things are free to do and to help us. And look at this for timing, Frank. Let's get out of here. I'm going to baseball. You can be a dad. <laughs> yeah, Anna Louise Madden is uh is calling time on the podcast. So enjoy the game, Kane. And uh yeah, we'll talk we'll talk post draft. <laughs> <laughs>